Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio by Eric and Ross. Guys, today we're in our second week of our Gospel of Mark series. And so for listeners at home, we encourage you to listen along to this podcast. Use the discussion questions down below to talk about this with your small group, with your family, with your mentor. We're going to be taking a deep dive for the next few months into the first few chapters of Mark. And today, guys, we're going to talk about John the Baptist, this weird, wild character that's at the very beginning of uh, the book of Mark. And we're going to talk all about him and the context for him and the history behind and all that stuff. But I thought it'd be good maybe to start by reading our passage for today. So every every week we'll be taking a passage from uh, the book of Mark. And why don't we start by reading it so that our listeners can kind of follow along. If you're driving in the car, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about today. Ross, why don't you give it a read? It's from Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Eric, why don't you do it today? All right, it says, It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, so today we're going to, as we look at this, we're going to break this down into three sections. We're going to talk about the wilderness and what that's all about, not just in Jesus's day and as it relates to John the Baptist, but we're also going to talk about the wilderness from the Old Testament and what that reference would have been for the Jewish listener. We're going to talk about the messenger himself, John the Baptist. We're going to talk a little bit about why he was so weird. And then we're going to talk about the message that he brought. But I think a good question that people can have in their mind, even as we, as we begin this, is what is God doing in your life to prepare you to encounter Jesus? Because really, that's what John the Baptist was all about. John the Baptist was, his whole purpose in life was to call people to Jesus, was to prepare a way to, for people to encounter Jesus. And, and even as we kind of dive into the context 2,000 years ago and even before that, I think it's always important for us as we read and study the Bible to think about how it relates to us today. And that's a question we'll come back to here at the end. You know, what is God doing in your life to prepare you to encounter Jesus? Whether you maybe need to have a fresh encounter with Jesus or, or maybe you're listening to this today and you don't know Jesus. You're still trying to figure out who he is. You're giving him a chance in your life. And so that's a great question we'll come back to. But let's start with this, Ross. When, when, when Mark references the wilderness, whenever we see that in the New Testament here or even in the Old Testament in the Bible, what are we talking about there? What is the wilderness? Yeah, well, on the most simple level, John the Baptist lived outside of uh, civilization. He lived out in the wild places, a kind of a hermit in a way. So he lived in the wilderness. But there's a much richer, a deeper connotation here because 
so much of Israel's existence, their life as a people was shaped by the exodus out of Egypt. And so God brought them, when they were, they were enslaved in Egypt, God set them free and he brought them to the promised land. They had to pass through the wilderness to get there. And in the wilderness, there was a lot of issues that came up because they weren't comfortable. They didn't, have, they didn't trust God, and even though God provided for them all the way. So there was, um, the wilderness became this powerful metaphor for um, the place or the situation that the people of God find themselves in where you know, they're being disciplined or they're being purified or they're... Or they're waiting until God is ready to deal with them. God said, I'm going to have you do more time in the wilderness because you didn't trust me. Um, and so the wilderness becomes this place where, uh, where people really meet God and where God works powerfully and, and uh, dynamically and in really maybe difficult ways in people's lives. Right. It's about, it's about difficulty, isn't it? Because the, the Israelites, Eric, weren't supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Mm-hmm. They, the journey wasn't supposed to take so long. It shouldn't have taken so long. Right. It, it, it should have the, taken, I think, nine days yeah. to get to where they needed to go. Yeah. yeah. But the reason they were stuck there, well, there are a couple of reasons. One is because of their disobedience. And, and number two, it's because, and I think this is true for us today too, it's because God still had some things to do for them to, to sort of maybe what we would call today spiritual formation. He right. needed to work some spiritual formation in their life, and, it, and he, needed to, he decided to do it in the wilderness, in the place that was maybe not so comfortable for them. Yeah, Joshua 5-6 kind of recounts, because Joshua is the one that finally brings the Israelites into the Promised Land after 40 years, and Joshua 5-6 kind of recounts this. It says, The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died, for they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so every time the wilderness is, is, is going to be referenced, and especially um, in this case, it would have been maybe a protest or a reminder to the people that had finally made it to the Promised Land hundreds of years later, right? The, the Pharisees and the Israelites and the Jewish people have now been in Israel, and they've, they've set up shop, and the temple's been built, and they've got their comfortable religion that they're in right and they've 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 wa- they've watered it down it's become diluted it's it's had so many different things added to the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion um, but they would have known that a voice crying in the wilderness or shouting in the wilderness was a prophecy that actually comes from Isaiah 40 Isaiah 40 and and so Mark here starts out what's interesting we talked about last week that this is written to the Gentiles, and he doesn't do a lot of quoting of the Old Testament like Matthew does, because Matthew is really trying to show uh, the Jewish people that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecies. Well, Mark decides to actually start the book out with the, the fulfillment of a prophecy, because it's still important, I would say, that even Gentiles know the Old Testament. Have you ever heard, this is a thing that has driven me insane, but there are some people out there that believe that the Old Testament isn't relevant anymore for Christianity. Mm -hmm. We should unhitch the Old Testament from Christianity, but 
really, I've heard it said that the New Testament is really hidden in the Old Testament, and then the Old Testament is really revealed in the New Testament. But it's all together. We believe it's all God's Word. It's all of God's redemptive plan. And so Mark sees it important to even show the Gentiles, hey, that, that God's story started a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And now something important's about to happen. This forerunner's coming in. He's in the wilderness, and he's really what he's, you know, this would also represent is what happened in that 40 years of the wilderness, and hopefully the Pharisees would get it, is that it represented their disobedience to God. They had been sinning against God. God had given, given them the Ten Commandments out there, and they kept going their own way. They couldn't follow. They didn't have the power to do it. They wanted to go back to Egypt, or they wanted to just live in sin, and that is a big reason why they were stuck out there for 40 years. And so that sets the scene for the forerunner, John the Baptist, coming in, because he's got a message. He's got a message about their sin and calling them back to repentance, which we'll get at later in this this message. But that's really the scene of the first two verses where we're talking about a voice crying in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. So for us, I would say, you know, the application is, is you know, what's the wilderness in our lives? I mean, we all have disobedience and sin to the Lord that is still in us. And, and even though you know, in this setting, the, the Israelites, the Pharisees, they, they thought they had made it to the promised land and they were past this discipline of God. Yet, you know, John the Baptist is here to tell them there's still wilderness stuck in your hearts and there's still wilderness stuck in all of our hearts. We all want to disobey and, and go against God. That's what we call sin, going and trusting in our own opinions and ideas and feelings rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. Where or what is our wilderness, and where do we need someone, a forerunner, to come into our lives to remind us that we need to prepare a way for the Lord? Yeah, which is a great question, because, you know, a preparation had to be made, mm-hmm. you know, what, so what is that preparation? And It talks about, in Isaiah, the prophecy, it says, clearing a path for him, for his coming. How, how, do, how does God want to clear a path in our lives for us to acknowledge his, you know, the Savior, the coming of the Savior. So, I mean, there's all kinds of boulders and obstacles and, you know, um, things. And, 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 and it, as we're going to see, because of the emphasis on repentance, that most of that preparation revolves around our heart, our heart attitude toward God. And it's not always, when I think about clear, <laughs> clearing a path, it's not always, uh, in fact, it's ho- almost never pleasant. It's, it's violent, it can be violent. Yeah. It can be painful, right? You think about, uh, you know, bringing a hatchet through when you're clearing a path. I remember years ago we mm. did this. We, we, we did a community outreach thing, and we had to clear this mile stretch of a, of a path. And, I mean, the, we had shovels and pickaxes and, and, you know, sharp blades, and we were hacking stuff up as we were clearing a path. And maybe someone listening right now is thinking back on their life on the last year, maybe, or the last few years, and say, man, I thought all this stuff in my life was bad, but maybe what it was is God was preparing a way. Maybe he was, maybe he was starting to do some surgery on me to make me ready for what God wants to do next in my life. Maybe, maybe even to make me, don't we all know people who, 
who are so arrogant and proud. Jesus himself said, how hard is it, is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's so easy to get this illusion, to have this illusion of control in our lives, and then we get sick, or we lose a job, or or we lose a relationship, and those are some of the things sometimes that God uses, a lot of times that God uses, if we're open to it, to prepare a way mm. in our hearts and in our lives for us to really encounter Jesus. As we talked about last week, you know, Jesus is this new coming king, you know, come to be the Savior, the Messiah, um, to clear the road for this king, to clear a path for this king. It reminds me of, if you think about, you know, when any politician or a president is going to go visit a, a city or a town or he's going to go make a speech, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that. It, he doesn't just show up. There are, there's a lot of planning that goes towards, like, the, you, you've got guys that are bomb sniffers with dogs going and and going to the surrounding buildings around where he's going to visit or, or the place where he's going to give a speech, and they're clearing paths. They're, clearing, they're taking away any threats for the dignitary, the person to come in to be able to make his speech. That's kind of what John the Baptist is doing here. And for us, um, we also need someone to come in and to reveal some of those rocky places in our lives. And often it's the Holy Spirit, but God also uses preachers and, and mentors and parents and people in our lives to to prepare us, to get us to see that, you know, the paths that we have in our lives, the, the, the example or the metaphor of paths um, really aren't as smooth as we think they are. We, we, there's some cleaning up to do to yeah. get to let the king come in. Now, I don't want us to take, take that the wrong way, because... This doesn't mean we clean ourselves up before we come to God. Mm. This is really uh, a heart change and a work that's happening inside mm -hmm. that really only God through his word can do. We see that John the Baptist is preaching. And so God through the Holy Spirit and his word is, 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 is starting a heart change in people. Um, and so there isn't necessarily a sense that you need to first clean yourself up so that you can be saved. It's, it's saying, no, there's, a, there's good news that a Savior is coming, and you just need to be willing to admit that you need the Savior. That's really what John the Baptist is Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Eric, when you mentioned the idea of the advanced team coming for a politician or celebrity, I think of all the hype that goes into that and all the, like, hoopla, mm -hmm. and I think uh, in today's world, John the Baptist is probably not your Hollywood um, advanced man, you know, because he's coming out there. He's not. He's not pumping up a good, good vibe and good feeling, you know. Mm. He's calling it like it is. And yet, uh, in our culture today, we think, oh, people wouldn't want to hang out with that. But people were thronging to him. They're flocking to him to hear this message. Well, there's something. There's something. Let's talk about that messenger for for a minute here, because there's something about a, a truth teller. Because that's who John the Baptist was. He was he was a true, probably not the guy that you'd invite over for like a party when you want to have a good time. He was he was. And we maybe we all know guy people like this who are just a li they're very you know John the Baptist was very unique. Verse six says his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. That doesn't sound that weird to me. Maybe you guys can explain that. But he says, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And then, and then he, he announced someone's greater. He's coming. He, 
coming to, you know, to baptize you, and his baptism's better than mine. Mine's with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here, here's this, here's this guy who he was a little, he was kind of like a. There were two sides to him. On the one side, he was just wacko. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I'm allowed to say that about John, someone in the Bible. He was a, he was a godly man. He was like a, a uh, he was like a modern day prophet for them, right? And a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament were weird and had, were called to do weird things. So John was weird. He was very unique and wild and strange and crazy. But yet, a lot of people like that are very narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. John the Baptist wasn't narcissistic. Mm. He was the opposite of that. He wasn't doing it to draw attention to himself. He was doing it to draw attention to Jesus. That's exactly what I was thinking, is that even though he comes, and what people would say nowadays with a, an extreme guy with an extreme message of, you know, repent of your sins, people would say, that guy's holier than thou. But yet, but yet Mark includes uh, his character in that he's humble enough to say that, that I'm really nobody. Look at me. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm look at like the way I dress. I am nothing to really look at, but I am paving the way for someone who is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his his dirty sandals that have been walking in the dirt all over for for many years. Something that was unclean in that culture to even do. Um, that would be something that a slave would do. Uh, at someone's home, you know, a servant at someone's home would untie someone's sandals and then wash their feet. And later we see that Jesus is also humble. But but John the Baptist is 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 bold, but yet humble. So he's not your your regular everyday hip preacher with the the leather jacket, the zipper boots that we see nowadays. <laughs> you know, if scarves. you're watching, yeah, scarves yeah. and and big, big cool glasses, glasses that really are unnecessary have you noticed that <laughs> that's become a trend a fashion prop, yeah, yeah. They, I'm like, or yeah. to date it more back since i'm older than you he's also not the the preacher with the fine three-piece tailored italian suit yeah. and, the, mm. and the big hair you know yeah. slick back hair and stuff like that so different generations have kind of different idea of like oh this is what makes me credible to the yeah. culture you know and it's really he's really kind of unmarketable you know it's an unmarketable ministry it's interesting with all the bandwagons that the Christian church has jumped on. Why haven't they jumped on the John the Baptist bandwagon? Because we see that they were coming to him in droves, you know? But you mean there hasn't been a book called The John the Baptist Diet? I don't <laughs> it know. It probably has been, you know? Wait, here's the, here's the diet book. Locusts, wild honey, yeah. I don't know, stuff that grows in the wilderness. I think you'd lose some weight, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he... Maybe that's why I had to wear that belt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> The, the thing I love about John the Baptist is he's, he's bold and, and willing to speak the truth. Another thing I think this would relate to in our day is, is he's, he's willing to call out sin and um, even specific sin um, because, again, he's preparing the way. And in order for a person, this is the thing that I've come to understand about sharing the gospel and doing evangelism is, is what it's called, is bringing the good news to people that you do actually, in fact, have to convince people that there's bad, that they are a sinner and that there is bad news. You know, like you can't really leave that out of the gospel because how are you going to tell a person Jesus Christ, who is God, came down to earth, grew up, he died for your sins in your place, you deserved it. Um, and so believe in him, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, that really doesn't work for a person who doesn't even see their sin or know their sin, mm. right? And so John the Baptist, for me, you know, he's kind of inspiring that he's, he's willing to call out sin. And later in the book of Mark, actually, um, he does it to the point of persecution, being arrested, and behe- being beheaded. In, in Mark chapter 6, it tells, retells the story where uh, King Herod um, had him arrested because King Herod was uh, sleeping with his, his brother's wife, right? And so John the Baptist called out Herod um, in front of everybody, and that made her angry, made him angry. He gets him, arre- he, he gets him arrested and finally beheads him for that. And so this guy's inspiring because I think nowadays it seems like we're afraid of calling out certain sin. This is a, certainly a sexual sin. There's a lot of sexual sin in our culture right now that's very taboo to talk about. You know, it might sound unloving to bring up, but yet John the Baptist shows us that all sin is sin, right? It's not like there are um, you know, one sin's greater than the others, and we're going we're gonna to overlook some. And I think that's what Christianity has somehow sometimes been accused of, is that we'll be accepting of some sins, but not of others. And, and I just want to set the record straight for that. Like, all sin is sin, and all sin needs to be called out. But there are sins that are more visible. Mm. And so um, we shouldn't be afraid to call those out just because... Um, people don't necessarily understand. We do need to learn how to speak the truth in love, but John the Baptist really shows us um, that he is willing to prepare a way for the Lord, so much so that it might cost him his life. Um, and I think that uh, some of us uh, could could learn some courage from him. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that he didn't come to the synagogues. You know, the synagogues were where the where the Jewish people would come to worship and he didn't he didn't go to the synagogues. I don't I don't remember that he ever was invited to the synagogues. I don't remember that he ever even came into a city. Yeah. You know. So he's out in the wilderness <clears throat> preaching this message. People are coming out to him to hear the message. So he wasn't invited into these polite circles, which kind of makes sense. I, I don't think he would have he would have been the kind of guy that would probably fit in at probably, a synagogue. Probably not that diplomatic. Yeah. You know. But that's not what he was called to do. Right. He was called to be out there. To Really, he was the beginning of this new movement, this new kind of raw movement mm-hmm. of coming after God and, and stripping away your religion, stripping away the, the, what another place in Scripture says, the form of religion that denies its power. Mm-hmm. And that was Phariseeism. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish synagogues they it was all about crossing their t's dotting their i's it was all about the form of religion the dress the garb the how it looks but they were missing jesus altogether they were missing the god behind the old testament the heart of god they were missing all of that and john the baptist wasn't missing it yeah this is one reason i think that john the baptist is so relevant to our culture in america today is because he's speaking to these group, this group of people that are culturally Jewish. Many of them were very scrupulous and, and observant religiously. A lot of them weren't. They were just Jewish. And in our culture today, and he's calling them to a real response to God, mm. a real heartfelt and a genuine response to God that costs something. 
And I think there's so many in America today who are culturally Christian mm. that, that really need to be called to a real response to God, not just what, you know, going through the motions of church as often as you might feel like going, or, or just come on Sunday and leave, you know, or, and never really address heart issues, never really address um, the state, the condition of your soul. So I think, I think John's message is, is really timely for a, for a culture that has lots and lots of cultural religious people in it. I want to address, yeah, the fact that, you know, he wore a garment of hair or camel's hair and a belt of leather, you know. Um, there's a, in the Old Testament, there's, there's another prophet named Elijah um, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. You know, it says that he wore a garment of hair with the belt of leather about his waist. And, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And so um, there's a lot to be said about this coming of John the Baptist. There's an, uh, there's, it's alluded to that uh, he might be you know, coming in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. This was, again, a prophecy of someone coming to prepare the way. John's coming was prophesied many, many times um, in, in the Old Testament, and, and Je- Jesus even confirms it. There's a lot you guys should, if you, you should study more about that. We don't have a whole lot of time to dig into this, but this whole idea that he's war- wearing these weird clothes, uh, I, it came to me as you were talking, Ross, and I've been thinking about this already. Like he comes and he speaks against the religious and also the like you said the nominal christians or the the lukewarm christians or the or or those of us that have all been tempted by prosperity i think prosperity and you know there's a reason why jesus talks about money so much in the new testament because he knows that it becomes an idol for us it steals away our hearts affection and devotion to the lord and it's almost like john coming this way in weird clothing looking weird eating you know basically nothing not he he's he's basically protesting the way that Israel has been living in in the lies of their religiosity you know the the Pharisees were were uh, loved their place of honor at feasts and they wore these glorious robes and and tassels and and John is is not really buying any of that and he's he's basically saying all you need is the lord you know this this is the thing that i think i even am guilty of i think this really convicts me as i think about this world this economy this this the way that we live is there's so many things out there that could get us distracted for why we're really here john the baptist is bold and courageous, he knows why he's really here, and he's not letting materialism and prosperity and religion get in the way. He's he knows what his call is. He knows what he's called to do. And for some of us, you know, we hear the Great Commission all the time, and you know, we come to church and we hear these great sermons about sharing the gospel and repentance and faith and boldness. But yet, it seems like. A lot of our time and our focus is stolen away by just worldly things, you know, and, and passion for things other than the Lord. And I'm not saying that we all need to sell all of our stuff and start wearing camel's hair, right? Only the best camel hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. I wonder if they make like a one of those mink coats out of camel out hair. Out of camel hair. Yeah, yeah. If they haven't, if we started doing that, they would. Somebody would, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think it should challenge us to look at what we have and, you know, are we stewarding the things that we have that God gave us in the first place? Does he get the glory? Do we spend too much time seeking after uh, becoming more prosperous and successful over actually doing the mission and preparing a way? Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because really this this all leads to his message. And if you remember from last week, we talked about the fact that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was written probably to a Gentile crowd. It seems like all, as we read through the book of Mark, we see he's explaining a lot of things that he wouldn't have to explain if it was a Jewish audience. So because of that and some other things, we we think that he was writing this to Gentiles. So that, that begs the question, why does he why does he start off with John the Baptist? Like, why does he even introduce John the Baptist if John the Baptist's message was just for Jewish people, just for Pharisees and religious Jews? Well, it's because the message isn't just for that. Mm. Everyone can relate to needing to come back. Need, you know, every generation and every culture and every end of, even even atheists can relate to the message that he's speaking is that you, you've been following, you've been chasing the wrong stuff, whether, like you said, Eric, whether it's material stuff or whether money's your God, or like the Jews, whether religion and legalism is your God, like the Pharisees. Everyone has an idol. Everyone has something in their life that's taken the place that, that God should have, should occupy in our lives. And so the, the message is something, I think, for every single one of us. And verses 4 and 5 tell us the message. It says, he was in the wilderness. He preached that people should be baptized. So let's talk about that in a second. To show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So this is what he's, he's the message that he's bringing. It's this, it's this word, this churchy word called repentance. So I think we should maybe take a minute here and define what does he mean by repenting of your sins? Yeah, the way I understand that word, um, it means a couple things. That in the Hebrew language, the word itself just means to turn, to do a 180. And then, of course, that's, that's defined by the context uh, of the Old Testament to describe how often what that really means is turn away from your, your godless pursuits, turn away from other things, idols, as you mentioned, idols that we uh, follow today of, of wealth and comfort and so forth, and just to turn to God. And in the New Testament, it means a change of mind, not just cognitively, but the mind being the whole center of our being. It means that, that who I am, my soul, you might say today, that I, that I have a change of direction. I'm pursuing myself, pursuing whatever else it is, and I'm pursuing God. And so, so for me, the, the simplest way to think about it is that, is that repentance is this fundamental decision to turn from my self-directed way of life to turn to toward God and let him direct my life. Yeah, and we like to here's we'd like to use the word we talk about this in in the pursuit uh, lesson number 6 which is the pivotal lesson in in that series online at pursuegod.org and it's we we talk about this attitude change. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a good word to use that maybe captures it because like you said earlier Eric, John the Baptist when he was saying prepare the way, he wasn't saying you need to clean up your act or God won't accept you. That's the opposite of the message of the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. That's the message of Phariseeism. That's the message of, of legalism. That's the message of religiosity. John the Baptist wasn't saying that you need to clean up your act or God won't accept you. John the Baptist was saying you need to have an attitude change. You need mm-hmm. to have a heart change where you're going to say, I, I'm ready, I'm willing to go God's way now. Because it's interesting, he doesn't, go back and read this, he doesn't actually use the name Jesus in there just yet. Not yet. Because he, that, that, it's not time for that just yet. So John the Baptist is saying, you need to have this attitude change toward God where, where you're saying, God, I recognize my way's wrong, my direction's wrong, my life, whatever that thing is that has taken the first place in my life, whether it's religion or money or girls or whatever, relationships, whatever it is. I need this attitude change, and, and it's almost like you, you, you do this 180, and then you're just like, okay, what am I looking at now? Right. What's right. next? Mm-hmm. But that's the heart change, and we see that sometimes in people, just this hunger for, they know that there's something different, that there, they, there's something better that God offers, but a lot of times they don't even know what that thing is just yet right. until right. somebody comes and introduces them to Jesus. Super important. Yeah, and... Yeah. Right here in this this story, it shows that they're actually called to do something that shows their repentance, that shows their change change of heart. And this is why John the Baptist is called John the Baptist, because he's baptizing people. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about baptism next week. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I mean, he wasn't John the Methodist or... (laughs) He remembered he went to the Baptist church. I That's guess not the Baptist got it right for this sermon. <laughs> for this one, yeah. Yeah, so, yep. yeah, he's calling them to do something that's symbolic. We know that baptism isn't actually what cleanses you or what saves you. Um, over and over again, and even in the Old Testament, there are symbolic things that actually point towards a heart change and a life change and a mind change, and, and it shows our faith in Jesus Christ. Um you know, there's bringing up the wilderness again uh, in the Old Testament. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you know, there used to be in, in Leviticus uh, there was a there were there was a sacrifice that required two goats. You know, there was one goat um, that was sacrificed on the altar, and and the blood was shed, and and that was the taking away of the symbol of taking away of the people's sins. That but was the, the unlucky goat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the one there, that had to be killed on the altar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. then there was the other goat. So that represents, you know, uh, Christ dying in our place, mm-hmm. right? What we deserve—that's the you know propitiation. That's the sacrifice. And then, but there was this other goat that represented taking our sins away. And what they would do is lay hands on this goat and send him out into the wilderness, and 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 that represented. The people's sins was was being taken away, forgotten, not remembered anymore. The Bible says that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so really is like a precursor to to the gospel um, and a, a symbolism of the gospel. That is what baptism is. It's 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 showing that we believe in what we say we're doing. And so so there there's an action to it. Faith is an action word, and so for these guys to come, it says, all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. It was like a proof that they actually believed what they said they believed. There's a lot of people that believe, but you re- really can't see the fruit of it in their lives. 
And what we like to tell people is when you come to faith, one of the first greatest things that you should do is get baptized because it's a public profession of an inward decision that you've already made. And, and it should be something that you want to do because it's the first step of obedience. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really what he's asking people to do. And there's a risk involved with that, with these, these people and for people in general that get baptized in particular with them. They're going out in front of everyone. It says they were coming out. I mean, the Pharisees were watching. People from all over were coming, confessing their sins and getting baptized now. And, and this would mean that they're drawing a line in the sand, and that's what a person does when they get baptized. There, I've met a lot of people who've come out of another faith, right? And they got baptized in this faith, but it wasn't a true Christian faith. Um, but they are afraid now that they've been coming to a Christian church, and they're called to get baptized, but there's always this, this reservation, like, mine's still counted, or I don't want to do that, and, and it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. It's because when they choose to get baptized in the Christian faith, they're drawing a line in the sand saying, I don't believe what I believed anymore. I've turned from my sins. I've, turned from my, I've changed my mind what I thought was truth, and now I'm symbolizing that I'm following the truth of the Bible and Christianity. That's what these people are doing symbolically, and and they're they're drawing they're showing that they're they're willing and ready to follow truth rather than the tradition and the religiosity that they grew up in. Um, and that's that's what's beautiful about this story. Okay, so Ross, but I have a question here because I I think some of our listeners might be wondering this and I, I hate to spring this one on you but i know you're going to have a good answer for this john there's a there's at least two baptisms here you know john's baptism with water and then he says but somebody's going to come he's talking about jesus who's going to baptize you with the holy spirit okay but but there's also the baptism that we've all part, that you're talking about eric that mm -hmm. we when we get bat when someone gets baptized today, is it this baptism, John the Baptist's baptism? What's the difference? Not exactly. The the Christian baptism today builds on this. And it's the it's sort of like the natural conclusion of this kind of thing. Because because when these people came out to see John, he's preparing the way for the Messiah. They didn't really understand what the Messiah was going to do and be, and they didn't at the, those hearers were being baptized at that time, did not know that Jesus was going to die on the cross for their sin and be raised from the dead on the third day. And so Christian baptism builds on this because it still symbolizes a turning. It still symbolizes... Now, you notice that it says here that when they confess their sins, then he baptized them. So the confessing of the sin happens first, and a recognition of spiritual need and a, and a turning to God happens first. And that's true of Christian baptism as well. But what's added to this as the revelation of Jesus unfolds in the New Testament, what's added to this is it also becomes not just an identification with, with God and His purposes and, and His will for His people, but it becomes an identification with Jesus Himself. And so we're baptized into Christ, and we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it builds on John's baptism. Well, right. There's a place in Acts, right, where it talks about there was a group that had heard that had heard about John the Baptist's baptism. So they had the, that kind of baptism, but they hadn't yet heard about Jesus, right? So that is a, a good answer to this question. Yeah, Acts chapter 19, you know, Paul on his third missionary journey in verse 2, it says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, No. 
They replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then it says, so then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. So that's exactly what you were saying. It was really a, a baptism of repentance. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on him. The Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. And so the baptism, yeah, takes a new shape after Jesus comes. And, and that's really what John's talking about right now. Um, he's looking forward to, you know, what Jesus is going to do. He's going to leave them. True believers will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So what you're saying, Eric, is in Acts 19, there are three baptisms. Those people underwent three baptisms. This is really, I think, actually interesting. Pro probably a lot of Christians don't realize this. Those guys were baptized by John. Then they were baptized by, was it Paul in Acts 19? Yeah, I think it yeah, was Paul. Yeah. Then they were baptized by Paul in water. And then it said that they, ha they received the, I don't know if they, they called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but what some churches today would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, again, for some people, they're like, what the heck are you talking about right there? We've got a topic on that, yeah. and we'll put that topic in the show notes down, down beneath this lesson if you want to dive into that a little bit more. But it's interesting, right there in the Bible, there were those people experienced three different baptisms. Probably, we don't know, but probably Jesus' disciples, were they? I'm sure they were baptized by John the Baptist. We don't really know. We don't know, but don't I bet know. you that they were, because Jesus was. So chances are pretty good that they were also baptized by John the Baptist. Well, some of them, we do know this from other Gospels, that some of them were followers of John the Baptist first. That's true. Before they connected with Jesus. That's a good point. So they certainly were. Yeah. And then, I don't know, does the Bible tell us when the disciples were baptized? I don't know that it does, does it? No, not until you but, get in the book of Acts and you start seeing people baptized routinely, but they're typically... You know, but certainly the disciples were baptized before you know, that time, into yeah. Christ, yeah, because then they were baptizing people into Christ, and of course the disciples also experienced this this Holy Spirit baptism because we read about that in Acts chapter two. So anyway, that's kind of inter an interesting aside related to all this. But the point, really, to come back to the point, is this this message of John the Baptist. the The basic message was you need to prepare yourself to turn back to God. Like have this attitude change, this heart change, really that kind of leaves you to go back to your image, Ross. You know, you did this 180, and now you're looking in a whole, whole different direction, but they're not even sure what they're looking for necessarily at this point. And then he says, here's who it is. Someone is coming who is greater than I am. Right. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I'll baptize you with water, but he, he's talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So all of this is about, is about Jesus. All of this is pointing to Jesus. And so maybe one of the reasons that Mark includes this at the very beginning of his gospel, you know, we said last week that, that this is the action gospel. It's short and to the point and clear, concise, compelling. Maybe Mark was just like, I got to use John the Baptist in here because it's such a great intro. I mean, John the Baptist was, was like John Mark. He was he mm -hmm. was urgent. He had so much yeah. urgency, and so I'm sure John Mark, as he's writing this, is like, I gotta I gotta use this story because he's such a good picture of 
the urgency that we should have to be to have our hearts ready for what Jesus is going to do. Yeah, yeah, and it makes me wonder, just looking at this, is a person really ready to hear the good news of Jesus if there isn't some sense that they have their reckoning with the, the sin in their life? Hmm. If a person hasn't come to grips somehow with this call to confession, um, the Holy Spirit's doing that, or it's, it's happening through the preached Word of God or whatever, uh, can they really be ready to to be prepared for the Messiah to come? You know, and one thing about the Holy Spirit and, and John the Baptist, the Bible does tell us that he was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. And so he's, he's uh, unique in the sense that the Holy Spirit hadn't... Uh, fallen on all people yet until uh, Acts, Acts chapter one, and and then when they believe, they they receive the Holy Spirit, and then it you know it moves on from there. But John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching. He's preaching to these people about their sin, and and really what he's saying is is you guys are listening to me, and and I am I I'm spirit filled, and I'm preaching, and you guys are coming to repent. But a day will come when. God himself will convict you of your sin, and you'll be able to repent. And that's when Jesus talks about, you know, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Is In John 16, verse 8, it says, When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and coming judgment. And so I believe that that's why John the Baptist add that in the, adds that in there, is because he's saying that, you know, I'm calling you to repentance, but there will be a day when... The Lord Himself is going to call you re to repentance. Yeah, really. John the Baptist was like a type of the Holy Spirit. He was like a forerun. He was like a a, a prelude, in mm. a sense, to the Holy Spirit. Because that really, the Holy Spirit, the ultimate answer. You know, when we ask this question, "What is God doing in your life to prepare you or others to encounter Jesus?" Really, the you could say, "Well, He's brought me through wilderness. He's brought me through some hard times." You you could say, "Well, there's there's this person in my life who's a Christian." Who just keeps bringing the message, which is great. I hope those things are true. You could say that, you know, again, that that God has done this, that, or the other thing to prepare the way. But really, the most biblical answer to that for anyone is that the Holy Spirit is doing something in you to make you ready mm -hmm. you know, to yeah. be to be yeah. repentant, to make you ready to receive the good news about Jesus, which is what Mark started the whole gospel with. This is the good news about Jesus. You know, John the Baptist was making people ready to receive the good news, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us today. The Holy Spirit prepares our hearts, makes us ready to receive the good news about Jesus. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about that good news, we got some links down below. You know, maybe you're listening to this and you haven't responded in faith to Jesus. So we just encourage you to, to follow that thread. God, if, if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, um, there's, there are answers, and, and we'll put some links down below to help you to understand how to respond to Jesus in faith. And make sure to join us next time as we continue on in the Gospel of Mark. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.